welcome back to the Past and Present Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Groves, hoping you've had a great week up to now. I also hope you've had an opportunity to dig deeper into the biblical ideas of meditation and memorization. Both are invaluable tools to build up your spiritual arsenal. Today, we are beginning a six-week archaeological survey of various aspects of Solomon's Temple. Today's article is entitled, Temple Architecture, What Can Archaeology Tell Us About Solomon's Temple? Written by Volkmar Fritz. It appeared in the July-August 1987 issue of Biblical Archaeology Review. Now, Mr. Fritz brings up a valid point as Solomon's Temple being a double problem. The first problem is that the biblical description is very general and ambiguous. The second problem is related to the architectural source of the temple. The Bible creates an interesting contrast between the description of the physical building and the details given about the various things inside the temple. As a matter of fact, the only detail provided about the physical building is a brief description of the windows. The temple was the central structure in the temple compound. The main question is if the temple was constructed of one, two, or three rooms. There are some interpretations that view it as three rooms, a so-called tripartite plan, consisting of an entrance hall, a main hall, and an inner sanctuary. Some argue it was only two rooms, as they viewed the entrance hall as an open portico, or the shrine wasn't a separate room, architecturally speaking. There is a third contingent who say the temple was just a single room. The author subscribes to the last view. He posits that it is really a matter of definition if you count the entrance hall and inner sanctuary as separate rooms. The semantics of defining rooms is less important than the overall knowledge that the temple was a long room temple. Now this means that it was oriented as a rectangular structure with the entrance on one of the short ends. Viewing the temple like this is key to understanding its architectural source, and we're going to dive deep into this. Though long room temples vary greatly, they belong to one type. Now, let's first look at what limited architectural information we do have. First Kings has the most complete description of Solomon's temple. It is referred to as the house for Yahweh. It was 60 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. It's worth mentioning a biblical cubit is roughly 18 inches, or the distance from the elbow to the top of the hand. We are also told there is a porch or portico in front of the main hall. In regards to the woodwork, a particular element is mentioned. 20 cubits from the rear of the house, Solomon built a partition of cedar planks to serve as an inner sanctuary as the Holy of Holies. From this description, it is clear the temple was built on a long room plan rather than a broad room plan. So a broad room plan would actually be the entrance on one of the long sides of a, of a rectangular structure. The dimensions are a little unclear. The portico appears to have been 10 cubits deep, the main sanctuary was 40 cubits, and the inner sanctuary was 20 cubits. Basic math has this adding up to 70 cubits. 
not 60, as the Bible states. So it figures the biblical writer didn't consider the portico as part of the house. The inner sanctuary has its own problems. The Bible tells us the inner sanctuary was 20 cubits high, but the house itself was 30 cubits high. We suppose the inner sanctuary was a sort of standalone olive wood structure within the house, kind of a box within a box, leaving 10 cubits of space between the top and the roof. An additional problem relating to if the inner sanctuary should be considered a separate room is the nature of the wall separating the inner sanctuary from the main sanctuary. The measurements of 40 cubits and 20 cubits leave no room for a wall between them. So a guess is that it wasn't so much a wall as it was a screen. If this is the case, should they be considered two separate rooms? The fact that this inner sanctuary is made of wood and not stone suggests it should not be a separate room, but rather a shrine. The author says that it shouldn't matter whether we think of the temple as one, two, or three rooms, we should just instead understand it is a long room temple. Whether you consider it one, two, or three rooms is only important when looking for the architectural source of the structure. Now, based on this article, over the last 15 years of this article, remember it was written in 1987, several new temples had been uncovered in northern Syria, which clarifies the source of the architecture. These new discoveries help resolve problems that have been raised since the 1930s. During the 1930s, a small temple was found in the Amug Valley. It bore a strong resemblance to Solomon's temple. It was a long room divided into a portico, main hall, and a shrine. While it bore a resemblance to Solomon's temple, it was not a model for Solomon's temple because it was built after Solomon. Another reason it wasn't the model for Solomon is because it stood in isolation, which means there's really nothing much around it. Since then, several other second millennia BC temples have been found. We now realize the inspiration for Solomon's temple came from northern Syria. This temple type can be traced to the Megaron type temples of the third millennium BC Anatolia. Anatolia would be modern day Turkey. So what was a Megaron? A Megaron was a residence consisting of a single long room. The two long sides extended beyond the short wall, creating a portico whose roof could be supported by columns. By the second millennium, this basic house plan was being used for temple architecture in northern Syria. This residential plan wasn't used for residences. Thus, we can say the long room temple with projecting arms was a Syrian temple type. In Ebla, for example, much important architecture has been found, including three temples all dating to the first half of the second millennium BC. Two are simple one room structures, but the other is a long room structure with an entrance portico created by the extension of the long walls. There are also two more examples in northern Syria dating to the second half of the second millennium. These two sites are both basic long room structures with an open portico in front. Both sites yielded two temples each for a total of four temples, all with the same basic plan. The temples that stood each had a long room and an un unenclosed entry hall. 
The columns that supported any roof were not found, and the absence of any roof debris could indicate there was actually no roof. Each temple also had an altar toward the back of the main room. An additional long room temple has been found in Endera in northern Syria. It is a monumental temple, but so poorly preserved that details are unclear. Now, we need to attempt to answer the question of how this temple architecture came to the region. Archaeological evidence shows the Long Room Temple was imported from Canaan, although only a few examples have so far been discovered. They all have the same basic plan, despite a number of differences. Temples at Tel Katan, Shechem, and Megiddo have all individual differences, but their footprint is nearly identical to Solomon's Temple. These examples in northern Syria and Canaan show the Long Room Temple was commonplace long before Solomon decided to build his temple to Yahweh in Jerusalem. Why did Solomon build a temple anyway? We know he had a half heart for God, unlike David, who had a whole heart for God. The answer lies in the simple fact Solomon wanted a palace. He instructed his officials to build him one, and the temple was to be part of the palace compound. The craftsmen turned to professionals for the design and construction, the Phoenicians. There is a tradition of cooperation between the two countries recorded in the Bible, and the relationship between Solomon and King Hiram is described in great detail. While Phoenician temples no longer exist, or at least none have been found up to the point of 1987, we are certain the Phoenician temples provided the inspiration for Solomon's temple as they were also long room type. Therefore, the theory posited by Albrecht Alt regarding the architectural organs or origins of Solomon's temple have been confirmed. While it's not surprising Solomon's temple relies on exemplars that no longer exist, it does create problems tracing the antecedents of his temple. Because of this lack of antecedents, we must trace its history from a handful of examples over a thousand years. We can draw two definitive conclusions about his temple. The first is the inner sanctuary should be understood as a shrine more than a separate room. The second is the porch should be understood as an unenclosed porch. We should also take a moment to talk about the indigenous Israelite temple at Arad. This temple found in 1963 came as a complete and total surprise because Arad was just a small fortress between the Judean mountains and the Negev. The Bible also makes no mention of a temple here, though there are temples mentioned outside Jerusalem. The temple was apparently founded during Solomon's time and subsequently rebuilt three times. It is also the only Israelite temple discovered so far. Its plan bears no resemblance to Solomon's temple, as the Arad temple is a broad room. That is, the entrance is on the long side. There was a raised niche with steps and two incense holders found opposite the entrance. Within the niche, two stelae were found. Now, what are stelae? Stelae were basically upright stone slabs or columns, typically, typically bearing an inscription or relief design, and they often served as a gravestone. This was a pretty big standard across the, the area. This stelae was probably a... Masaba and was used in Yahwistic worship. It is condemned but frequently referred to at Israelite high places and other cult sites. Since no other pagan objects were found 
and the temple was located completely within Israelite territory, the indicators are that this is a Yahwistic temple. Since this architecture is completely different from Solomon's temple, the planet Arad was more, more than likely goes back to the house architecture of early Israel and must be considered an authentic Israelite temple form versus a Canaanite and Phoenician temple import. Solomon, in choosing his temple architecture, looked not to Israelite prototypes, but to Phoenician examples, which can be traced to long room temples in northern Syria, and from there to the Megaron houses in Anatolia, nearly 2,000 years before. Well, I think that just about ends our time together today. Our discussion today was based on the article, Temple Architecture, What Can Archaeology Tell Us About Solomon's Temple? by Volkmar Fritz. It appeared in the July-August 1987 issue of Biblical Archaeology Review. You can read the article in its entirety at www.baslibrary.org. Today's talk is laying the groundwork for the next five weeks as we will be exploring various aspects of Solomon's Temple. As always, if you have questions or comments, feel free to email me at kimg.pastandpresentpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Rebirth Network with a purple heart between the words and Rebirth Encouraged also with a purple heart between the words. So until next time when we will be talking about Rahab, this is Kim Groves reminding you to stay blessed and unstressed and unbothered by the rest. Have a great weekend.